0: Our sermon this morning is entitled, Manna from Heaven. And we're looking at this idea, or this, this thought of God as our provider, our provision coming from God. We're going to be looking at the story of the Israelites wandering in the desert after they were freed from the Egyptians. But here's, here's the question I want to start us with to kind of get us headed in the right direction. How many of you in here this morning would consider yourselves to be planners or people who think ahead? Okay, we got some show of hands. Or maybe, maybe a better way to say it is to figure out, okay, so it's the end of September, right? We're about three months away from Christmas. How many of you have bought at least one Christmas present at this point? Okay, if you've bought Christmas presents at this point, you're a planner. Or if you've at least maybe began to think about buying Christmas presents, you know, you're kind of in that, that planner category. So, for example, I'm not a planner. I haven't even begun to think about the idea of buying Christmas presents. Just ask Pastor Laura, my wife. She'd go, no, that is not Pastor Micah's strength. He's not, he's not a planner like that. That's not his strength. We're on the opposite side. Since, like, say, December 27th last year, she's been buying presents for this year. You know, that, that's, that's just the way it works. You know, she's like, hey... Stuff last year was clearance, like maybe example, wrapping paper went on clearance last year after Christmas. She's like, hey, I'm gonna buy that. So next year, we have wrapping paper. You know, planning, thinking ahead like that, which is great, it's brilliant, right? Or like, it's June and she starts buying Christmas presents because they, you know, it just things are on clearance. Because she's like, hey, you know, we've got nieces and nephews that we gotta buy presents for, These toys are in clearance. Let's start buying them. And I think about it, and I'm like, you know what? It's genius. Because instead of putting all the financial burden on November and December, you're like, oh, hey, we spread out the burden. You know, we spend some in June. We spend some in July, some in August. You know, you kind of piece it up and chunk it up, and you're spending a little bit here, a little bit there. Instead of spending it all in one, you know, for me, it would be like December 10th to December 25th. Or maybe more like December twentieth to December twenty fourth. All of it, you know, and one Johnny's like, Yep, I hear you. I hear you, brother. You know, like, that's me, man, you know, like um like last year I don't know if you guys saw Walmart keyed in on this, like right before Christmas. Every commercial they did was geared towards men. They actually like every commercial actually was like all the guys running and buying stuff like right before Christmas because they're like all the ladies bought stuff ahead of time, but they knew that it was the dads who were like, uh-oh, it's the week of Christmas, I need to go out and buy presents, you know, for my kids, you know, whatever. They, they picked up on that, but anyhow, just this idea of, you know, but being planners, I keep joking, you know, so Gabriella just turned six months last week, and so I'm like, Dude, Pastor Laura, you've got to start planning her first birthday party, it's like less than six months away. <laughs> Knowing that full well, she's already planning her first birthday party, you know. And I'm like, how about you let me plan it? And she's like, yeah, you're right. I know what would happen. You'd be running to Walmart buying a cake that day. You know, there'd be like three balloons and nobody would show up. Cause you wouldn't invite anybody, you know. Because like, that's just, I'm not a planner. She's a planner, you know. It's just the difference in the two of us. And so why do I start out with that question or this idea and it's it's because by nature, even though like I'm not necessarily maybe a planner in that sense of like parties or, or buying gifts and those kind of things, there's other things that I plan. Like deer hunting is two months away. You better believe I've been planning for deer hunting. There's things I've been giving you know, so like there are things that I plan for. Because as humans by nature we always tend to be one or two or five steps ahead of ourselves we're thinking forward about different things in our lives. For example, all of us have been here at different points of, or at this point in our life. in middle school, all we can think about is man, when I get to high school I can't wait till I can drive. I can't wait to get my driver's license and I can't wait to have more independence when I'm in high school. And then we get to high school we're like we don't really think about that anymore because we go, man I can't wait until I graduate. I can't wait to figure out what college I'm going to go to. I can't wait to figure out what job I'm going to get after that. I can't wait to figure out where I'm going to move out on my own after I graduate high school, right? We just, we're always thinking about the next steps, right? Often we don't live in the moment that we're in. We're always thinking about what's going to be next. We're always thinking forward. What is next? Then we get into college. It's the same way. We're like, what is it going to be like when I get into the real world? What's it going to be like to have a real job? To to own my own house? We're people of next things. We're always looking for what is around the corner. That's our nature as humans, is to think what's next, to plan ahead, to think what's next. Can I share a secret with you? The people in the Bible were the same way. Actually, if you read in Scripture, you find the same thing. You know why? Because they're People. Just like you and I. And as I said, we're going to talk about the Israelites today. And they've been held captive in Egypt for 400 years. So these people were born into slavery. But they've been thinking about what was going to come next. What is going to come after slavery? What's going to come when we get out of Egypt? What's going to come next? And then they escape. They get out of Egypt, right? Moses comes and and God delivers them out of Egypt. And all of a sudden, here they are. They've escaped Egypt, but now they're staring the Red Sea right in the face, and they're going, "Uh uh-oh. Now what do we do? We've escaped Egypt, but now we have the Red Sea sitting right in front of us. And the Egyptians are following behind us. What's going to happen now? Are the Egyptians going to kill us? Are they going to take us back? Into slavery, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? But just when they thought their fate was sealed, what happens? Right? All of a sudden, God splits the Red Sea in half and they walk through on dry ground. And after they walk through on dry ground and the Egyptians follow them through, all of a sudden the sea then closes back up on top of the Egyptians, crashes down on them, and kills the Egyptians who are following behind them, right? So that's kind of where we're going to pick it up, is after that, where now the Egyptians have, they've left Egypt, they've left captivity, they've been, they've they've been gone through the Red Sea, where God has once again delivered them from the Egyptians, and they're wandering in the desert. We're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 13, so if you have your Bible, and you want to turn, you can feel free to turn to Exodus chapter 13, if you don't know where the book of Exodus is, that's Okay. If you open up your Bible, the first book is Genesis, the second book is Exodus, second book of the Bible. We're going to start in chapter 13, and we're going to start reading at verse 17. Otherwise, as always, you can feel free to follow along on the screen behind me as well. So it says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, speaking to the Israelites, God did not lead them along the main road, That runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. (laughs) Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Right? So we read just this short passage here from Exodus 13. And basically it's saying here that the shortest route that would have taken the Israelites from Egypt where they were in captivity to the promised land where God had promised them, would have taken them through the Philistine territory. That would have been the shortest route from A to B, would have taken them through the Philistine territory. But God did not choose to take them that shortest route that would have led them into the Philistine territory. He took them a roundabout direction. God prevented them from returning to their old ways by scrambling up the direction that they were headed towards. How many times have you been frustrated in your life when it seemed that God took you away that was longer than the direction that you thought he could have taken you, right? Sometimes you're going, well, but God, you could have just taken me from A to B, but instead you took me from A to C to D to E, and then I got to B. Right? It's like instead of going in a straight line, it seems like God takes you in this, this circle route and you're wandering out on this path that goes into the wilderness or the desert instead of just walking in a straight line from one point to the next. Right? Well, usually there's a reason for that, right? God isn't just saying, hey, you needed, you needed the endurance, right? Right? You need you needed to walk. Further, like you I wanted you to do that because you had some weight you needed to lose. You know, there's there's something God was wanting you to learn. There was something in the process that God was trying to teach and mold and transform you in that season, in that time. And we're gonna read about that here with the Israelites. There was something that the Israelites needed to learn. There was a dependence upon God that they needed to learn that they hadn't learned. Up to this point, even though they had been in exile for 400 years, they still hadn't learned to fully depend upon God. Think about that for a moment. For 400 years, they were in exile under another country's power, and they hadn't learned to fully rely upon God's power. 400 years, and they still hadn't learned yet. To rely upon God fully. In the case of the Israelites, that's what he was doing. There was still something he was trying to teach them. Because only one month later, we find them whining and complaining. We're going to move to Exodus chapter 13. So just three chapters later, one month after God has taken them through the Red Sea, we find them complaining. Verse 1 of chapter 16 Says, then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin, between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the fifteenth day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. To starve us all to death. So here, in a month, in one month, people who were in captivity for 400 years, who have found freedom to worship God without any restriction, are already now complaining and whining and saying they wish they had what they had before. And it's easy for us to sit here and judge the Israelites for whining after witnessing the miracle of the Red Sea and seeing God's presence through the pillar of, of cloud by day and the fire by night, right? If we read through the story, it says that during the day, right there in the desert, until it's hot. And God would put a cloud over them that would direct them during the day so they knew where to go and would keep them cool during the day. And at night, God would give them a a pillar of fire that would, would direct them as well as keep them warm during the night. Because in the desert, at night, it gets very cool. And God would give them a pillar of fire to keep them warm. It's also an example of God's Shekinah glory. That's God's physical presence here on earth. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire by day and by night. But they had become angry. Or to use a term that we like to use today, or you may often hear, the Israelites became, for lack of a better term, hangry. For some of you, maybe you've heard that term, and some of you, maybe you don't actually know what the word hangry means. But actually, if you look in the dictionary today, Hangry is actually an official word in the dictionary today. If you look in the 2018 dictionary, hangry is in it. And this is the definition of hangry. It means bad tempered or irritable as a result of hunger. Bad tempered or irritable as a result of hunger. So the Israelites, they've been walking around in the desert for a month. Their meager supplies had likely run out, and one person would have a hard time finding rations in the desert, much less two million people. Two million people. That's that's about the number of people that were wandering around the desert, the Israelites. Two million people. So can you imagine two million people wandering around the desert trying to find enough food to feed themselves? The Israelites were getting... They were getting tempered. They were becoming irritable due to their hunger that they had. Because of their hunger, they weren't thinking clearly. They began to whine. They began to get upset with Moses and Aaron who were leading them at this time. Just to kind of share a quick story with you. Years ago, I had a youth pastor who told me about a student in his youth group whose entire mood was based upon his food. Sounds like a teenager, right? Their their mood tends to be based upon food. And he actually said that this student was actually the reason why they would feed their students dinner before youth group and often have snacks at their youth group. Because when he would feed this student and give him snacks, he wouldn't whine, he tended to be much happier, he was less irritable, and they paid much more attention during service. So he actually found out, he said, if I feed my students on Wednesday night, we have much more productive youth group services he actually found that out and so to this day he still feeds his students and it has much he, he, that's the benefit of it he seems to have a much more successful effective wednesday night service because why when you're hungry your body goes through physical and mental changes I'm not just talking about hungry, as in the cafeteria served nasty food or you just you didn't have very good food that day. I'm talking about when your body becomes deprived of food, or you're taking in less food than your body physically needs, you become exhausted, you become irritable, and you can become angry very quickly, and you, you become a different person, right? We've all seen the Snickers person, right? You're not you, when you're hungry. But it's a real thing. When, when people become seriously hungry and they have not gotten the food that they need, a person literally does become a different person mentally and physically. They become someone different. Knowing that and logically understanding that food for a large group of 2 million people or more as the Israelites were in the wilderness, it would have been hard to understand Or it's not hard to understand how they would become angry in this situation. So let's look at that verse number three again. It said, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. They're saying, there at least we had all the food we wanted. We had meat, we had bread, we had the food that we needed. But God wasn't going to let his people die in the desert. He was going to provide for their needs. And God has always provided for my needs. And I know for many of you, you could sit up here and you could share how God has provided for many of your needs. And I want to share an example in my life, how God has always, uh, how he's provided for me. So one of the cool things for me, when God called me into the ministry, God told me, he said, He said, Micah, he said, as long as you're obedient to my calling in your life, as long as you do what I ask you to do when it comes to the ministry, you will never have to worry about finances ever. You see that? You will never have to worry about it. And you know what? That's given me peace since the day that he said that. An example of that is and just to say that most people know you don't go into the ministry for the money. Most pastors don't go into the ministry for the money. Um, And so here's an example of that. When I graduated from Bible college, I'm just going to be transparent. I graduated with about $35,000 in student loans. Which some people are going, you know what? $35,000, that's not a lot of student loans. Again, pastors don't tend to make a lot of money. $35,000 can be a substantial amount of student loans. And so I just knew once I graduated from school that, again, God said, if you're obedient and you do what I ask you to do, I'm going to take care of your finances. I'm going to provide for you. And so when I moved to Janesville, Wisconsin, where I interned and where I first met Pastor Laura and was, was helping at that church there, I was working at Target. I was working at Starbucks. I was working as a weekend custodian. I was doing all kinds of odd jobs. Um, I just simply, everything I made, I tithed on it, and I paid student loans on it. I didn't, I didn't keep anything. I didn't save anything. Uh, I lived off of Pastor Laura's income. <laughs> Honest truth. I lived off of her income. And here's the crazy thing. You want to know how long it took me to pay off $35,000 in two loans? 18 months. You know what? It wasn't me. It was God providing me. Because I'd have someone come up to me and say... Pastor Micah, here's a $500 check. I don't know what you need this for, but God told me to give you $500. Pastor Micah, here's $1,000. I don't know what you need this for, but God told me to give you $1,000. Because God told me if I was obedient to him and his calling, that he would provide finances for me and I'd never have to worry about it. And God has continued to do that over and over again in my life. And that's one way that God has shown his provision for me in my life is in finances in, in that way. And so, again, I don't say that to brag or to boast. I'm just saying, God, his provision in our lives is a real thing. And for me, it's an area of finances. For you, it's a, it could be in a different area of your life and look in a different way. But God is good and he continues to provide for us in different ways in our lives. So back to getting to the Israelites. They were feeling neglected. That's basically what they were saying. They're going, but God, you're not providing for us In this situation, they're hungry or they're hangry, they're irrational, they're getting whiny, they're daydreaming, going, I wish I was sitting on these pots of meat and and all the bread that we could eat again, of being slaves once again. But if we keep reading on in chapter 16, verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Continuing on in verse 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, vast number of quail flew in and covered the camp, and the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew, when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. And finally, verse 31. The Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. So it says here, God provided the quail and manna. And as I said earlier, manna was a crazy phenomenon that scientists still today haven't quite been able to explain. It truly was a miracle. If you look at manna, if you go back and study it in the Hebrew language, which it was written in the Old Testament, it actually translates to, what is it? That's what it translates to, what is it? That's what the Hebrew word translates to. What is it? That's deep and theological, right? What is it? So manna is like this biblical mystery cafeteria food. You know, right? For those of you who are still in school, sometimes you get food on your plate and you're like, What is this? Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. Sometimes it, they say it's Sloppy Joe's but you're like, uh. It's kind of like going to Taco Bell, right? You're like, I don't know what's in this taco, but uh, I guess I'm going to eat it. Uh, you know, but what is it? You know, it's unlike anything they had ever seen or tasted before, but God provided it. And, and, and they ate it. They were instructed to collect enough. For that, whatever they needed for that day, and not to keep any leftovers. The only day that they kept enough for the next day was on Saturday. They would keep enough so that they had some for the Sabbath. They didn't have to collect any on the Sabbath day. Um, the people had a hard time trusting God. Some of them did that He would provide for their needs. Some of them tried to take extra. They would they would go, ah, I'm going to take some more so I know that I have enough for tomorrow. So you know what God did? He played tricks on him, right? They didn't trust him, so verses 19 and 20 said, Then Moses told them, Do not keep any of it until the morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until the morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. Right? <laughs> you you tried to take too much, you kept it overnight and woke up in the morning. Everybody knew. That tent was not good. It smelled, right? Those people had taken too much. Others still tried to collect food on the Sabbath. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commandments and instructions? Right? They were not to go out on the Sabbath to collect, so they were to go the day before and to take twice as much. The people's doubt in God's provision was frustrating to Moses and disappointing to God. But I bet God feels the same disappointment when he looks at his provision for us today. But I'm not talking just about food. I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about our acceptance or rejection of his one and only son, Jesus. Listen to Jesus' word in the book of John as we shift to the New Testament now. And look at chapter 6, starting at verse 48. Jesus speaking here, he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Right? So Jesus is God's gift to us. That's kind of point number one. Jesus is God's gift to us. Right? If I could eat only one bread and one meat for the next 40 years, because that's how long the Israelites wandered in the wilderness was 40 years. If I could eat only one bread and one meat for the next 40 years, I don't know what I'd pick. You know, Probably not uh, manna and quail, but even if I picked my favorite food, even after five days it would get old, right? You'd get sick of it. But manna and quail was definitely not the answer the Israelites were looking for when it came to their hunger issue. They had prayed for God to help them, and he did But it didn't come in exactly the answer that they were expecting. Later in scriptures, we read that the people, uh, people prayed for God to send them a Messiah. They were looking for a king, right? A mighty warrior from a noble family. But instead, what did they get? They got a little baby born to a working class family, seemingly out of wedlock, right? Mary and Joseph hadn't been married yet. One that was born of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we expected to. Right? It doesn't always look the way that you and I thought it was going to look. Doesn't mean he didn't answer it, right? The quail came, the manna came. God answered the prayer. He brought provision. Jesus came, right? The ultimate sacrifice came. Even though it didn't look like maybe what we thought it was going to look like, Jesus came. The little baby grew up, he lived a flawless life. He was sacrificed upon a cross to take the blame of every sin that we've ever done and yet to do. He's our Savior, our Deliverer. He's the answer to our prayers. But often, we can take the gift that God gave to us for granted at times. Number two, Jesus is a gift for everyone. not just a gift for you and I. He's a gift for everyone. I remember at different times being in school and At times we'd have class competitions, maybe like junior class versus senior class versus freshman class versus um, sophomore class. And, you know, it'd be like, whichever class wins gets to have a pizza party and the other classes don't. And when you were in the winning class, it was awesome. It's like, great, we get to have a pizza party. But if you're in the class that loses, you're like, oh, we don't get anything, right? You kind of feel left out. But that's not any fun. You, You pretend it doesn't bother you, but no one likes to be left out. The greatest thing about Jesus is, Jesus has never left anyone out. Jesus didn't come for a select. He didn't come for a few. Jesus came for each and every person. Jesus is a master includer. Jesus never made anyone feel left out. Jesus was known for inviting everyone to the party. Jesus invites everyone. Jesus is offering himself to you. The only catch is are you accepting it? You know, are you accepting the invitation? Again, we read in that verse in John chapter 6, verse 51 I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so the world may live, is my flesh. He gave himself that we may find life through him. If you were an Israelite in the desert, manna was there and available for you. I guess you could have protested and gone on a hunger strike waiting for a different food, but that would have ended poorly. Manna is what God chose to provide in that moment, in that time. It's simple for someone to say, Jesus loves you. But that's a hard concept sometimes for us to get our mind wrapped around. Every day we see people around us looking for a different answer, searching for something besides manna, something besides Jesus. They're looking for a different answer. When Jesus is simply the answer to our prayers, and He's available to anyone who chooses to follow Him. Number three, you can't just pick up the manna. You have to choose to actually eat it. You have to choose to actually eat it. If I were an Israelite in the desert, and I collected the manna every day, but I never actually ate the manna, I would die. If you picked up the food, picked up the substance, but you never ate it, you would die. And that's the same about Jesus. If all we did was come to church all the time, people see us here, we're collecting manna. Church is where we find community with friends that, that may believe what we believe. We listen to sermons. We, we grow in, in discipleship in our community groups. We're collecting manna. We're learning. We're growing. We're worshiping. Those are all good things. But have you accepted Jesus? Jesus? Is your life being transformed? Is it changing? Is your life changing? Is it being transformed? Is your life affecting others around you? It's easy to pick up manna. But is that manna making a difference in your life? Jesus promises us that he will come back for us. And there's a banquet, there's a reward in heaven for us, forever with him, as we choose to walk with him. So what is it that you're continuing to trust the Lord for today? What is it that that you're continuing to ask him to provide in your life? Maybe there's something that, that you've been going, God, I'm waiting for you to provide this in my life. And maybe he already is. I mentioned this story, Maybe He already is providing, and it just looks different than what you thought it was. Maybe that provision is already there. Maybe it's time to ask God if you're just missing that. Maybe the man and the quail is out in front of you, and it looks different than you thought. Or maybe the question is, is instead of going, God, maybe you're not taking me straight from point A to point B. Maybe I need to go, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me in the process? What is it that instead of walking straight from one point to another, you're trying to teach me by looping me around in the wilderness? What is it that I'm supposed to be learning? Like Israelites had to learn how to fully rely upon God. What is it that I'm supposed to be learning in this process that I'm struggling to learn for one reason or another?